Hello and welcome to The Northern Connection, a monthly podcast about all things books. We are Rachel, Rebecca, Emma and me, Jules. This month we're talking to author Jennifer Saint about her books Ariadne and Electra, which is published next week. Jennifer Saint is an author that puts women at the centre stage of Greek mythology. Due to a lifelong fascination with ancient Greek mythology, Jennifer read classical studies at King's College London. She spent the next 13 years as an English teacher, sharing a love of literature and creative writing with her students. At the Northern Connection, we're all huge fans of Ariadne and we're lucky enough to read a lecture ahead of publication. Hi Jennifer and welcome to the Northern Connection. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so pleased to be here. We're excited to talk to you. First of all, can you tell us what first attracted you to myths and was there a particular story or character? Um, yeah, of course. So I've I've always been interested in mythology for really as long as I can remember. And the first main story that I remember really capturing my interest um, would probably be the story of the Trojan War, which is obviously, you know, one of the big ones. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I just, I think that's just a story which really has everything. Um, so it's got these dramatic battles, it's got love and betrayal, it's got the, the gods and the goddesses actually intervening, coming onto the plains to fight alongside their favourite heroes. Um, and it's just such an exciting, thrilling story, um, all, you know, um, in the end, although there's so much, there's so much like there's so many, so many battles and so much violence mm. and so much death. In the end, um, it's won through this clever trick that Odysseus comes up with. So it introduces all of your major players in Greek mythology as well. You know the most famous heroes like Odysseus, um, like Agamemnon. Um, well, I mean, I say heroes. I, I mean, I guess that the the kind of concept of that word has changed so much. So when you talk about heroes of mythology, they're not kind of the heroes that we think of today who are good and brave and moral and virtuous they're just simply the strongest the most powerful and the most ruthless and prepared to do terrible brutal things um which is what earns them their their immortal glory um so yeah so it's it's a story i think you know it's so famous and so many other myths spring from it and that's probably the irresistible thing about mythology and probably what drew me in and didn't let me go that one story leads on to another. So you meet all of these characters and then you find out, oh, there's another great story about, about this god or this hero or this woman, um, whoever it might be. And it, it just keeps on going. They just unfurl, I guess, like a, like a labyrinth. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's probably, probably the, the first one that I came to and then all the others just flowed from there. Your first novel, Ariadne, was a huge success and a Sunday Times bestseller. Can you tell us a little bit about your forthcoming book, Electra? Yes, definitely. And um, so like Ariadne, it takes the female perspective on a well-known story. Um, so in this case, um, Electra actually has the Trojan War running in the backdrop to the story. So although it's such a huge and important conflict, it provides the background to this novel because what I'm interested in telling in Electra's story is what's taking place off the battlefield, what's taking place um, among the women who are left behind or the women who are trapped inside Troy while this war rages on. So it takes three characters, um, 
and actually starting with Clytemnestra, who's Electra's mother. She's the wife of Agamemnon, who is the who I mentioned before, he leads the troops. Um, he leads these thousand ships, this legendary thousand ships, actually more than a thousand apparently. And um, <laughs> he he he's he's in charge of them. He takes them to Troy. Um, and when he does so, he has to make this terrible sacrifice, which costs Clytemnestra. Well, it, it devastates her and um, it destroys her life. And so while he's gone, Clytemnestra spends those 10 years not sinking into despair and um, not giving in, um, but she spends that time taking control and building up her own power base ready for Agamemnon's return. Um, it also has the viewpoint of what's happening in Troy um, in those 10 years when Agamemnon is away from his kingdom, Mycenae, um, and that's told from the perspective of Cassandra. So she's a really famous heroine of mythology who has the gift of prophecy so she knows what's going to happen but the curse that nobody will ever believe her so in Troy she can see the devastation that's coming she knows that her city is going to be annihilated but everything that she does to try and save it is dismissed is ridiculed is ignored um and she's just such a great female character she's such a great representation i think of of the position that women find themselves in that she has so much insight and so much knowledge um and she's consistently ignored. Um, and then that brings us to Electra, who is Agamemnon and Clytemnestra's daughter. And she has a completely different perspective on her father um, to the perspective that Clytemnestra has. So she adores him. He's been missing for most of her childhood and she's longing for him to come back and to put everything right again in Mycenae. So both Clytemnestra and Electra are set at terrible odds against one another. Um, so it was an opportunity for me to really, while telling these stories of mythology, which are, are so um, fantastical in so many ways, and, and you know that there's magic and there's myth and there's monsters and there's all the rest of it. But at the heart of it, there are these, there are these recognizable human relationships and Clytemnestra and Electra have this incredibly dysfunctional mother-daughter dynamic where they're both really so similar to one another um, that when they come up against each other in the novel they're just incapable of giving ground and so it was a way of exploring I think um, female anger which was which felt very different to writing Ariadne which was more about women kind of struggling to make the world a better place in Electra um the women in Electra are much more pragmatic um and mm. very much intent on doing things their way yeah <laughs> I felt sorry for Cassandra actually I had that her story was really interesting yeah it's the most I mean I think it's one of the most tragic plights mm. that um anyone is subjected to in mythology but she's always just been a character that fascinates me so much I think um, I found her incredibly difficult to write a character who knows what's coming to kind of yeah. then as an author try to create any suspense around her. Um, how did you decide that Electra's story was the one you wanted to tell? Yeah, so it's not immediately obvious, I think, when you read the novel. Um, it was a bit of a journey to get to Electra. The novel didn't actually start out being about her. Um, because Clytemnestra and Cassandra, I think, are much more in characters who you can immediately feel this sort of connection with. I think when you find out what happened to them, 
um, even though both of them have been quite maligned in a lot of the stories, and um, particularly Clytemnestra, who is this like very bad wife, um, an example of, of when you know women are disobedient and go off the rails. And um, I think you know there's there's this immediate point of connection between us and these two women. Electra is much much more difficult, both in the ancient sources and in kind of other retellings. Um, so, so it so it really didn't start with her. But I think because she's so, she is so sort of impenetrable at the start. She's so opaque. She's um, this very, I think a very truly ancient kind of character in that she's she's fanatical and she's driven by these ideals about family honor and religion. Um, so on the surface, I think she's not so appealing. But as I started to write, the it meant that there was so much depth to her and there's so much complexity in her story. And she's so intriguing um, to kind of get to grips with. And in the end, everything that happens builds to her. There's there's um, kind of woven into the story is this very old curse that's been placed on the family of Agamemnon, dating back to his, his ancestors, his forefathers, who've committed all of these hideous um, crimes and the, the and they've kept compounding one upon the other doing these terrible things and so the gods have, have cursed them in various terrible ways mm-hmm. um and it all comes down to Electra in the end to kind of bring this to a close however it is that she's going to do it and how, however we might feel about that in the end she is she is the most important character so it ended up being her story it's really interesting yeah yeah so I imagine you love all the characters you write about but do you have any favorite um characters from mythology yeah so if I'm thinking kind of outside of the characters um, that I've, I've featured in my novel so far um kind of favorite characters from mythology I will always probably um come back to Artemis one of the so I think that the goddesses are so interesting um and kind of um yeah I think the goddesses are quite often the characters that have got the most to offer particularly Mm -hmm. to a modern reader because they're placed outside of the normal constraints of society they're a way to explore this kind of freedom um, and they can behave in all of these different ways and Artemis is a goddess very much associated with nature she is um, the goddess of hunting um, in Roman mythology, she's known as Diana, uh, and she's always in the woods with her bow and arrow wearing this short tunic, um, just not conforming in any way to the status quo. She's got this ability to do whatever she wants. She has nothing to do with men. She's set herself outside of that kind of very restrictive system that women were living under. And so she's a really appealing character in terms mm. of somebody who's just going to break the mould and is going to be completely free. So yeah, um, yeah, I love Artemis. <laughs> would you choose maybe to tell her story next or which story would you like to tell next? So she's a major character actually in the next book that I'm writing. So I'm, I'm currently editing my third book um, and um, I can tell you that that tells the story of Atalanta, who is a, a mythological heroine 
who's not that well known. I think a lot of people might not have heard her name. Um, she doesn't feature in, in all the stories, but she's famous for being, in some versions, the only woman to have joined Jason and the Argonauts on their quest for the Golden Fleece. So she's a woman quite unlike any other that I've told the story of before. That's really interesting. And do you have plans for book four, whose story will come next? <laughs> um, so I'd really like to explore um, explore more about the goddesses and I think more get in, more into the um, the Olympians because they have uh, such great drama, so many kind of petty <laughs> stories and epic stories to tell. Um, but they're, they're a lot of fun. How do you go about researching for that? Like you were saying, that book three, there isn't much on her story. Where, where do you go for this information? Yeah, so for Atalanta, then uh, I've had to dig quite deep, whereas when it comes to stories about, uh, like particularly about the Trojan War, there's this wealth of, of information. Um, but I did my degree in classical studies, so I have a lot of, a lot of um, books from then. Um, which is where I always start um, with the kind of the ancient epic poems, with the ancient dramas and tragedies and so on. Um, and then just, uh, I say it's a bit like, a bit like the myths kind of one piece of research takes you to the next piece of research. Yeah. And at the moment, there's such an explosion of interest, I think, in mythology and classics. Um, so what I find now is um, if I'm searching for a bit of information, there are there are so many um mythology podcasts as well um mm. as, as books there's so many more sources than there used to be um so there's i think um it's it's getting kind of more and more accessible to more people now yeah and jennifer could you recommend a book or an author that you enjoy um which has got a northern connection Yes, I definitely can. Um, so an author with a Northern connection that I can recommend would be Nell Pattinson, who writes thrillers, and her most recent novel is called Hyde, which is told from seven different perspectives. Um, and it, it's this kind of, it's like a, 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 a terrible crime has been committed and you don't know which of the seven narrators has done it. Um, so I can definitely recommend her. Um, and I also, just today, so um, as we're recording this, it's the London Book Fair is going on mm. um, and when they announce lots of book deals. So I've just um, been really excited to see an announcement um, about an author called Sarah Brooks, who's based in Yorkshire, um, who has um, her novel. It's not coming out until 2024, but it's called A Cautious Traveller's Guide to the Wastelands. And it is a story that takes place on the Trans-Siberian Express Railway. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> interested. It sounds absolutely amazing. And um, so, yeah, so one for now, Nell Pattinson, and one to look out for, uh, I'd say definitely Sarah Brooks. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it was so lovely chatting to Jennifer Saint about mythology and about her books. Electra is published on the 28th of April and Jennifer begins her UK book tour on Tuesday the 26th of April in Lingham's Bookshop in the Whirl and the launch event is going to be in Waterstones, Leeds on the 28th of April. For further locations and dates make sure that you're following Jennifer on Twitter at Jenny Saint and if you enjoy listening to us chatting to authors and generally guessing about books make sure you like and subscribe to the Northern Connection podcast. 
and you can find us on Twitter at Northern Con Pod and on Instagram at The Northern Connection. See you next time. So I can't believe this is our first episode where we're talking about historical fiction. No, nope. yeah, me neither. It's... Yeah, because we all love it, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think we yeah. read a lot of it. Yeah. So we decided that we'd uh, choose two books each um, that we particularly love and just champion those a little bit. So Jules, would you kick us off, please? I certainly will, yes. So both of my books are exactly the same number of pages and they are very chunky ones at 832 pages each. Wow. And I know we're all a little bit scared of big books, aren't we? Cause I, <laughs> and I think we're a bit terrified because we think that it's not going to be good and it's going to drag it on and et cetera, et cetera. But I've generally found that very long books are excellent, I will say. Mm-hmm. So the first one is The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. And I know that some people are going to say, what? Because when I've looked at the reviews, it does have some really rubbish reviews. But I just think it's absolutely brilliant. So it's basically set in 1866 and Walter Moody is one of the main characters in the book and he trans uh, travels to the gold fields of New Zealand to seek his fortune. Um, and around this time is when the kind of gold rush is happening in New Zealand. And when he arrives, it's a very stormy night and he stumbles upon a gathering of 12 local men who have met to discuss some unexplained goings on in, um, in the town. Um, there's a few things like a wealthy man has vanished, a prostitute's tried to kill herself, and an enormous fortune has been found in the home of a, a kind of lowly drunk who you wouldn't expect to have that kind of money. Um, and Walter Mood is drawn into this mystery of everything that's going on in this town. And it's kind of a world of shipping and banking and the gold rush. Um, but with a bit of a ghost story thrown in. Um, The book itself is split into 12 sections, so one for each of the men who's at this uh, secret meeting, Um, and um, each section has an associated sign of the Zodiac um, tied in with it as well. So it's all kind of bit of a who's who, who's done what, who owns the gold? Who's this fortune going to go to? And I just think it's uh, a brilliant story, um, exceptionally well told. And I just read my review because I did read it quite a few years ago. So I read my review and I, I wrote in my review that it felt a little bit rushed at the end, like as if she'd realised she'd already written 700 pages and she better hurry up and get it finished. Um, And I read a few other reviews that said exactly the same thing, but someone had said that it kind of made it feel like it was just all very fast-paced and stuff at the end, like a big build-up to the ending. Um, So I do think it was worthy of the prizes. I I think she won the Booker Prize, did she? If I'm, if I remember correctly, I'm sure she she definitely won a big prize. I have yeah. a feeling it was the Booker. Yeah, and and it was made into a TV series. Was it last year or the year before? Which I've watched and I thought it was excellent. I know again that got some mixed reviews, but um, but yes, 